At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the Social Psychic. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure that I have a return guest on the show this evening, Melissa Carroll. She's known as the Yoga Writer. She's here to talk to us about her recent project involving shadow work. For point of reference, Melissa Carroll is the author of four books. She's a yoga teacher and she's co-creator of the online revolutionary course, Shadow Plus Light. She's also the editor of the essay collection known as Going On, Real Life Stories on and off the yoga mat, which was in 2014, with a forward by Cheryl Strayed, author of Wild. Melissa is the author of three poetry books. Her writing has appeared in Brevity, Mantra, Plus Yoga Magazine, Elephant Journal, MindBodyGreen.com, Savannah East, and elsewhere. She's also on the faculty of the yoga training program at the Lotus Pond, and teaches at Ringling College of Art and Design, and also leads yoga and writing workshops and retreats all over the world. Created a free guide to help you rewrite your shadow story with three of our biggest cultural myths, money, love, and time. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Melissa Carroll to the show. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to return to our show. I am just so excited to hear about your most recent project. I know um, you just had a new book come out, and I had a chance to be at your book signing on Saturday night in St. Petersburg, Florida. I wanted to uh, congratulate you on that achievement. And I think that for our audience, and I wanted to ask you about The Body of Starlight, which is the book I'm referring to. And then I also wanted to uh, get into your work with Shadow Work. And uh, we also discussed doing a guided meditation for our show today. So we have a full book of business, no pun intended. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I want to ask you was um, regarding the Body of Starlight, the Body of Starlight book that you have, tell us a little about it for our audience and what motivated you to uh, publish this book. Sure. Well, um, I have always loved creative writing, and I've always wanted to be a writer. And so um, this is my first full-length collection of poetry. And the title, of course, is Body of Starlight. And that comes from a lot of themes that appear in my writing, uh, which 
delve into looking upward at the sky and being in complete awe, being filled with amazement and curiosity and wonder at the vastness of the universe. And I think a lot of your listeners can probably relate to that. Um, And it also relates then to looking inward at the reality of this dualistic and non-dualistic experience here on earth and also a lot of my themes deal with the body and the physicality especially what it means to live in a body in a culture that determines so many things about value and beauty and self-image and that actually ties in with a lot of the shadow work that I do so it all blends together um Also, the title, Body of Starlight, refers to Carl Sagan's famous quote. Carl Sagan, of course, was the famous astrophysicist from the uh, 20th century, and um, he famously said, we are star stuff. And that's, that's not just poetry. That is science. The atoms in our body, 7 billion, billion, billion atoms in the human body are, are forged in the furnace of distant stars. The helium, the oxygen, the iron, all of it came from a star billions of years ago. Now, uh, working its way as a cell in our bones, in our skin tissue, in our connective tissue, it's, it's just fascinating. So that is part of what inspires me to write poetry. That's what a lot of my poetry is about. And I'm uh, just really grateful that the book came into being. And thank you for being at the book launch party on Saturday. I'm, uh, it, was, it was just a, a wonderful time. So. I always, I always, I think this is like the second or third book launch that I've been to, uh, on, you know, to tend to support you. And I, every event we go to, I, today, uh, that event was standing crowd only. I was literally outside the door and I had to have like my arm as extended as high as possible to, uh, take pictures of you from a distance. Uh, I have to say that that's phenomenal for you that you were able to get a crowd like that on a Saturday night for your book. And I'm just so excited about the success that you're enjoying right now. And I'm just so glad you could be on our show this, this, uh, this evening to share your experiences. Oh, thank and, you. And, you know, no, no problem. Looking at your, your, your body of starlight book. And this is the last thing I was going to ask you about the different poems that you have in this, in this work. What made you decide the topics that you have? Cause I know it's a broad spectrum of different topics. Um, I'll give you an example. <laughs> I'll just say this. Uh, seven ways to fake an orgasm, rage, <laughs> straight to hell, how to cook like an Italian woman. To me, coming from New Jersey, I think of uh, a lot of great people that have cooked for me that are female and male, but how to cook like a, an Italian woman. Um, I, I am very intrigued by your poems. What motivated you to pick these specific set of poems for this book? Well, you really you really chose some of the good ones there. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're just gonna dive in. So um, I have I wrote a lot of these poems over the span of the last eleven, twelve years, I would say. So my life has changed a lot over the, these past twelve years that I've been writing these poems. Um, 
and so some of my themes and my fascinations have have shifted and evolved like they do for all of us but one of those consistent themes is about what it means to be a woman in our modern day american culture um for better or for worse right and um so in particular, I do like to write about sexuality and sensuality in sometimes a funny kind of quirky way uh, that is intended to help reclaim a sense of power for women because I do believe that in a collective and individual senses that women have lost a tremendous amount of power throughout human history. And luckily, I am seeing that power balance shifting. I think there is a tremendous resurgence of the divine feminine energy and a respect for divine feminine power coming to consciousness. Um, and so a lot of my poetry tries to take sometimes a, a funny, uh, witty, and maybe provocative glance at that by talking overtly about sex, uh, you know, faking orgasms and so forth, uh, also as a way for women to reclaim their own bodies. Um, and the, the other poem title you had mentioned specifically, Rage, is one of my more political poems. I had actually written that one rather recently um, after the Kavanaugh hearings, um, and I was I was enraged, and I um, was in I was enraged, and still am enraged at the fact that uh, you know classically we see in patriarchal structures how men can physically take from women. And their consequences seem to be much lower than um, when even women try to speak up for themselves and reclaim any sort of justice for the transgressions, the physical sexual abuses and transgressions that may have been incurred against them. Um, so in that poem, uh, with, with Rage, I actually it's kind of a persona poem where I take back the power, the speaker of the poem takes back her power against the men who have committed consent, uh, you know, non-consensual sexual transgressions against her. So it's, it's a bit racy. <laughs> it's a bit spicy. And what I enjoy, what I always enjoy about you, Melissa, and the audience that they don't know, we, we're personal friends for over 10 years. Is I enjoy that you have <laughs> your beliefs and you're very strong about them. And I respect that and admire that about you. And uh, I definitely think that this recent work, Body of Starlight, represents your creative achievements of tying your beliefs into your writings. And I hope it inspires a lot of people who pick up this book and see these poems uh, for the way that they're laid out in this, in this dynamic. I think it's great. So I'm very, very happy that you were able to get this out and do this. And, I, and the one last thing I'll ask you about this book, looking at the back of it, you have several yoga poses. And you have a poem to move yes. to a yoga index. I was going to see if you could tell our, our audience a little about that part of your book as well. Yes. Um, so in the back of the book, we have something a little special, uh, an artist, um, Lauren Chidel. She's a fantastic 
artist out of Tampa Bay, and she drew these sketches. She's also a yoga teacher. I actually happened to uh, train her. She's one of my yoga students in the teacher training I co-lead. And so she has these lovely sketches of women in yoga postures. And we kind of paired some of the poems in the book with the images of the yoga postures as a bit of an index. So you could, if you wanted to sit, let's say, sit on the floor in a cross-legged position or if half lotus or the lotus position was a part of your practice, you could embody that position and then read one of the poems that we suggest that might help you blend not just uh, the act of reading, which of course happens when we're alone with a book, you know, usually sitting on the couch or or some or sitting in a chair or something like that, um, and then the separate experience of physically embodying in an asana practice in yoga, asana of course meaning the yoga postures. Um, we tried to blend that and bridge that experience from more of the cerebral, imaginative quality or experience that happens when you read a book of poetry with the more physical dimension that occurs in a yoga asana practice. Um, plus, it's just, it's just a, a lovely way to collaborate with other artists. So, yes. Absolutely. And you're putting stuff out there. You're creating content that reflects your passion. And if you ask me, that's a, that's a triple success right there. So, I, uh, <laughs> Thanks so much, Jason. <laughs> Let's let's get into the the thicker stuff that you're working with, the shadow work stuff. And I know uh, Carl Jung is um, the original precursor to part of this. So I wanted to ask you first: Can you explain to the audience what what you mean when you say you work in shadow work? Yes, absolutely. Um, I know. I love that shadow work. It immediately sounds mysterious and and rather. Uh, occult, right? Um, but shadow work, the definition of shadow work, uh, as, as I would define it, is that it is a process of integrating the unconscious with the conscious. And so by that, I mean that the conscious part of our psyches, our conscious mind, is all of the stuff we are keenly aware of in our daily life. Um, it's all of the stuff we're readily able to see and admit to. It's the stuff, as it were, in the light, right? Whereas, of course, the shadow is the unconscious. It's the hidden aspects of ourselves. It's the, the stuff that we tend to hide, neglect, or then even judge within ourselves, um, or even shame within ourselves. And much like your physical shadow, when you walk outside, a uh, shadow is cast. Uh, we don't always see the shadow. We don't always notice that it's there, but it's always there. It's always attached to us. It's always following us around. The same is true with this metaphorical shadow. All the stuff that we carry around that we don't always want to admit to is still a part of the fullness of who we are. And it isn't until we begin to accept, embrace, and actually even appreciate the shadow aspects of ourselves that we can become more whole. I really love that. I think it's great. To, so when I studied psychology, I always learned about the id, the ego, the superego, Freudian terms. In this particular respect, I know Carl Jung is an offshoot of Freud. So 
basically the id is is a is a dynamic similar to what the shadow self is except your, your shadow work uh your shadow could be neutral it may not be negative or positive is that right that's a really uh good distinction in many modern contexts we do insinuate that the shadow is a little bit more negative simply because we're trying to bring ourselves into wholeness. So we want to identify the elements, the pieces of ourselves that are causing us suffering, right? So it's usually not um, always the aspects of ourselves that we already celebrate and delight in. However, uh, I really like your question because the entire process of shadow work is an attempt to remove those labels of positive and negative, which is rather difficult to do because the mind is always labeling things as positive or negative. Um, you know, just, just eat a sandwich and your mind will tell you, like, whether you're having a positive or negative experience, right? Um, I even see it in, in yoga. Uh, students come in for their Tuesday night class, and if the air temperature in the room is slightly too warm or slightly too cool or if someone's in their usual spot on the floor, they get thrown off right? Unpleasant circumstances have occurred and it has disturbed their sense of inner peace. Um, And much like that, we take those labels to our own qualities, the way that we see ourselves. And also, of course, the way we see others, the way we see our most precious loved ones, our friends, and then everybody else in life. So you're absolutely right. Um, I think perhaps it's helpful to, to say that At first, we identify elements in the shadow as negative because they ultimately help us. Those negative qualities are our teachers. They tell us like where we're out of balance and where we need to pour more self-compassion and less judgment, more acceptance for ourselves, which then naturally ripples outward to others. And then at the end of that or on the other side of that with the shadow integration process, we actually discover that the qualities that we once deemed as negative hold tremendous power and tremendous gifts for ourselves. So um, I can give you an example of this to make it actually sure. more, more tangible and not so abstract. Um, okay. So, um, so for me, I am a people pleaser. Jason, you've know, you know me. Like, I want to be seen as nice. <laughs> I will admit it on the podcast. I want everyone to like me. I, I really, really want to be liked. <laughs> and I, I think this is a pretty common thing. Um, so in my own internal registry of positive qualities, being nice and therefore being seen as nice by other people is pretty high on my list, which makes me a people pleaser, right? As Brene Brown has said, I have the disease to please. <laughs> and, um, and so you could even like say, oh, well, that's a, that's a positive quality. You know, she, she, she acts nice um, generally, except when I'm being not nice, right? (laughs) And yet I have been in circumstances in my life where my actual physical well-being was threatened 
And I didn't stand up for myself because I was afraid. I was afraid of standing up for myself because I was actually um, teaching in front of a huge group of people, hundreds of people in a very public place. And in um, a very threatening situation came up. I was teaching yoga in a public park and there were about 400, 500 people there that day. And um, someone showed up who was stalking me and my health and, you know, the well-being and potential health of everybody there was being threatened. I did not stand up for myself in that moment. Um, I was too afraid to stand up for myself. So actually this story that I had written so deeply within myself to be nice and to be well-liked was potentially, luckily it didn't, but could have potentially put me at a deep disadvantage. And what I have learned over the years from that experience is that it's okay if people don't always think I'm nice because I'm going to start speaking up for myself a little bit more. In another example, um, you know, if I think that I maybe deserve a raise, I'll be more likely to go to my boss and say, you know, this is why I, I think I deserve this raise. Um, whereas that might not always be just like the polite, sweet thing to do that doesn't cause any ripples, but it's the more empowered thing to do. I can understand that. And you know what, though? Looking at it that way, I agree when – because I think that's why we get along so well is we both like pleasing people to an extent. But it's finding that balance which, between being that nice person that you, you, you strive to be and being able to assert your own – I guess your, – assert yourself. Assert your, your – your, I, I, how do I phrase it? Nourishing your inner child. Like being able to say, no, this isn't correct. This isn't right. I'm standing up for myself, and I'm going to assert myself. And uh, exactly. I think you're really good at that. I think you're really good at that. You may not realize it, but as a close friend of yours, I think you're very good at that. I think you're very evolved <laughs> in that respect as well. So I think you've been doing a lot of shadow work. You just didn't realize it. But, um, you know, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but um, let me ask you this. The process itself, how did you learn about u- utilizing shadow work to gain enlightenment on yourself? or to work through your, you know, your, your particular issues you want to work on? Well, and first I want to just say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate those kind words. Um, and I learned shadow work. I learned this process through a good friend of mine, Ashley Sweet. She is a mental health counselor. She is a researcher for Planned Parenthood, and she also runs a nonprofit organization in St. Petersburg, Florida, called the St. Pete Women's Collective, which also happened to be where I had my book launch party this past Saturday. So it's great. All of these themes are even tying together in our conversation today. Um, And she was the one who first introduced me to the shadow integration process and how relinquishing self-judgment and shame around aspects of myself and aspects that I judge in other people uh, were really sabotaging my life in in many ways. Um, So I learned this from her and uh, now the two of us are teaching an online course on shadow work together. So we're using her background as a mental health counselor and um, all of her 
uh, extensive experience helping people go through their own transformational healing journeys, um, as well as my experience as a yoga teacher and as a writing teacher, we've incorporated all of these different exercises, really practical hands-on exercises to move our students from a place where they feel like they want to manifest powerful circumstances in their lives. They want to cultivate powerful change. They want more inner peace. Um, we can take them from that place of self-sabotage to a place of inner power. And shadow work really has been one of the most profound ways to, to do it. And, um, and it all starts by looking at the aspects of our life that cause us trouble, <laughs> you know, like looking at our own <laughs> circumstances, looking at our own suffering. So you mentioned Carl Jung, and um, of course, he was the pioneer and the one who coined the term shadow work to really represent the unconscious psyche, the unconscious side of ourselves, the hidden side. Um, and he did a lot of work with dreams. Um, obviously, dream work and dream interpretation was a big part of his methodology for, for his clients and his uh, psychological work. Um, I would say looking at your dreams is critical. It's a wonderful way to actually really see what your hidden drives and desires, what are some stuck stories that you keep playing out in different imagined scenarios each night as you go off to sleep. What's bubbling up for you just underneath the surface of your conscious mind? You can look at your dreams, but in our process, you actually look at your real life, too. You look at your waking life. And um, a great way to start, and this is for all of the listeners out there, look at some of the biggest judgments you have for other people in your life. If there is, like, a, a comment you keep making about somebody in your life, let's say that um, someone in your life is really – unreliable, right? And that triggers you. It pisses you off. It agitates you. You've got this emotional response that is causing you a disturbance. It's causing you suffering. Um, that trigger actually in this process of shadow work is only painful to you because that represents an unresolved issue within yourself. So if I have somebody in my life that is unreliable and they're, they're, like unres they're not responsible and it agitates me, I, instead of just continuing to place the blame outward on other people, I look inward and follow that line of inquiry and discover what is it within myself that I find just so dishonorable about being, um, you know, unreliable. And how then can I make peace with that within myself? That might mean starting to actually shift some of my own behaviors. How do I show up in the world? How am I showing up for myself and for others? And then the other part of that is to actually see some of the hidden gifts within a quality that we have deemed as negative. So even though somebody might be unreliable, um, you know, like let's say you were supposed to meet a friend and they canceled on you at the very last minute. They sent you a text and just said, hey, you know what, I'm super exhausted and I, I, I'm so sorry, but I'm not going to be able to meet you tonight. Um, maybe 
they were honoring themselves. Maybe, you know, they, they told you they were exhausted. Perhaps just accomplishing another task on the to-do list, running out would have depleted them and made them even more scattered. And they needed to listen to their own inner guidance and take the night off and stay at home and rest and practice self-care. So that's another way of reframing a quality instead of just labeling it as this is good or this is bad. Um, That's how we begin the journey. And, of course, it goes much deeper and, and can get much um, more involved with that. That's very interesting because I will say this from, from what you're describing. Let's say you did in that hypothetical have plans with that friend and you're really looking forward to getting together with them. And let's say that that friend is having a bad day because they left work and they're exhausted and they don't want to have to do one other thing for their day. They want to just rest, right? So applying the shadow work concept to it, Instead of just looking at it from your point of view that this person's canceling plans with me, it must be about me, why they're canceling, and I'm frustrated all of a sudden, it's taking a step back and putting your ego to the side, so to speak, and thinking, perhaps this person has more going on than I can even understand, and let me utilize the, the breadth of looking at it from a little more of their perspective. Maybe they needed to tune out and just take the night off and, and not be so quickly to judge that person for canceling plans with you. Is that sound that's, that's about the direction of what it it means to use uh, shadow work in, a di- for example, that kind of example. Exactly. That's precisely it. It's being able to examine things from this bigger picture, and you brought up the ego, right? Not just to take things so personally and from our one-sided approach. Um, and so it, it always is a good idea to well, like a lot of people don't even know what's in their shadow, right? Because it's hidden. It's not readily accessible to us. So a good way that you could start identifying your shadow is to look at those qualities in other people that upset you. They don't upset everybody, right? Um, But why is it disturbing you to this degree that's causing you suffering? Ultimately, the practice of shadow work is a practice of freeing ourselves from suffering. And that is one of the um, most compassionate and highly evolved practices I believe we can do for ourselves, which then extends outward to all of our loved ones, right? As we heal ourselves, we heal our relationships too. So um, it's, it's powerful work. Uh, I was going to say, one of, I was just up in New Jersey last week. I think I may have mentioned that to you. And one of my close friends from high school has a book about healing. And she was talking to me about that and saying that part of learning how to move forward in life is also taking steps that healing, uh, forgiving those that may cause you certain steps of drama or, you know, dysfunctional relationships with family members, for example, and I think, I think the book she had mentioned was Forgive for Good. I don't know if you've heard of that book. It's by Dr. Fred Luskin. Um, it's mm. a book that she's finding very enjoyable. It's, it's, it's like utilizing the concept of healing from within by letting go of the baggage and the negativity that ties you to certain things in your life. At least that's my understanding of that. I haven't read the book, so I'm not speaking from a position of authority for it. But the reason I brought that up is I think the fact is if you could take your shadow – uh, for each individual person and, and try to understand it better, you may learn a lot about yourself that you 
may not even learn in counseling, for example, when people go to counseling and try to sit with a therapist. Or you might be repeating certain cycles that you're not even aware of in relationships with others, be it family, significant other, or friends. And so I I think by gaining a greater understanding of yourself, you might be able to keep yourself from from repeating these unhealthy relationship-type things or these thoughts in your mind that can occupy space that don't need to be there. That is exactly it. And actually, that's another wonderful way to start identifying what's a part of your shadow. Um, what are some of your limiting beliefs and your in your shadow stories, as I like to call them? Um, because they'll keep showing up. I, I used to joke um, that, you know, I, I keep learning the same lessons over and over again. They just keep showing up wearing different outfits. So, <laughs> um, and we see this all the time, right? I know, like, a, a friend of mine, she keeps attracting the same unavailable guys, and she she says that she wants a committed relationship. Why can't she just find a nice guy who will commit to her? And yet here we are again with a guy who will not commit to her. Um, so that is a pattern that she needs to look at that maybe there is an unconscious belief that she actually is drawing in. She is magnetizing this same type of person into her life. Um, and she keeps relearning this same lesson over and over and over again before she, she finally identifies it and realizes it uh, so that she can move beyond it. Because that's the thing. Your conscious mind will tell you one thing. You know, uh, your conscious mind will tell you, I want to have a committed relationship. But there could be something in your unconscious that is saying commitment is terrifying. I, uh, I don't deserve a loving partner who fully respects me because I am deeply flawed and bad somehow. Um, this stuff is all boiling beneath the surface. It's not something we're necessarily cognizant of as we're drinking coffee on the way to work, right? Um, but it's exactly. still there. Yeah, and it's even more powerful because we're not aware of it. So shedding light on the shadow really um, brings us so much awareness that then we can actually work with what's there. You can't work with something that you can't see. So what do you do with your friend that keeps repeating that cycle? Do you bring her subtly to your class, or do you drop her a card, give <laughs> her one of your books? Like, how do you <laughs> What do you do? Um, <laughs> Well, she herself is actually, in that scenario, she's a very, very um, a self-aware woman, too. She also teaches yoga, and she is also on, like, her own um, healing journey, right? So I, I do think shadow work would be a tremendous help to, to her. And, I, you know, I can speak even for myself, not so much in relationships, um, although, I, trust me, I've got shadow issues there, too, but um, with money in particular because that is something that I have been working on really, really specifically and powerfully for uh, the last six months, I would say, and I have felt some extremely profound shift in my own shadow work journey. Um, and, And I do like to focus on what I consider to be three of our biggest cultural issues and where as a collective we have uh, the majority of our self-sabotaging myths with um, love and romantic relationships, with money 
and with time and the curse of productivity in the modern world. Um, and I write a lot about all of these issues, and that's actually um, what the course that Ashley Sweet and I are, are, are focusing on is how to heal our stories within these three different frameworks. So with, with money, um, you know, we've already discussed, I'm a poet. I like to read books. I like to write. I teach creative writing part-time at universities. I have bought into the collective myth of the starving artist, or at least I used to. And, and I didn't even realize that I bought into it because that's how it works, right? You don't realize that you're buying into a belief system. You just hear, see, and feel things enough, and they're reinforced enough times in our environment that they become embedded within us, and then we project them outward in our own lives. So um, I bought the idea that it was really noble to be a starving artist, which means it was noble to be broke. It was noble to <laughs> not ask for money for my creative work or not accept money for my creative work um, and, and all of that really developed a scarcity mindset within myself a really powerful scarcity mindset um, the same was true for me as a yoga teacher being a yoga teacher was really easy for me because I already had the starving artist mentality from liking poetry so it was great to step into then the wellness world I see this so much in the wellness industry as well um, where people have this tremendous gift to offer, this tremendous service. It's so prevalent if you are creative, if you are an, an, a spiritual entrepreneur of any kind, um, you probably have a little bit of difficulty marketing yourself, putting yourself out there on social media, promoting your own work, uh, even asking for money for the services that you offer, or thinking that you know you might you, you're too afraid to ask a certain price because that might be too much and people won't think you're worth that much. And that word worth is so powerful because it stems deep into the heart of our own self-worth, which correlates to our ego, right? And the ego is very fragile indeed. So um, anything we can do to protect our fragile ego, even if it ultimately causes us self-sabotage, is um, sometimes more complacent. It's sometimes easier than doing the difficult work of shadow work and uncovering what's really there. I think that's great. And the way you tied in the whole starving art artist concept when you first were doing your writing and your yoga and everything you're passionate about and now the healing work you do. And I could say, you know, this from me, I struggled with that when I first realized I was doing the psychic thing um, outside of being a lawyer, I had a hard time understanding how I would even work with people because from my vantage point, I used to give people readings all the time complimentary and it took time for me to learn that process. And a mutual friend of ours, Megan in a few short months was uh persuasive to uh, get me to launch myself and get myself out there just like you're out there now. And I think part of that, and some people in our audience, they may have these desires that they want to go public with their intuitive abilities or they're, maybe they're a healer and they want to do stuff with energy healing or they're interested in balancing the chakras or they're aspiring mm -hmm. writers. 
what advice would you have for someone like that in the audience who may not have the gumption right now or the confidence to set themselves up, hang a shingle, so to speak? Um, <laughs> what would you say to them based on your experiences I... and your work with shadow work? Oh, I have empathy for them, first of all, because I know firsthand, as you do, uh, what it's like to have that fear and self-doubt and trepidation to put yourself out there, especially in this weird modern world of online marketing. It can feel extremely vulnerable to put ourselves out there and to say, hey, this is this is me, this is what I love, and this is what I want to share with the world. Um, that takes courage. That takes risk. Um, and so first I would just express empathy, and I think part of that is, is to also help others understand that they are not alone, that it is extremely common to feel self-doubt. Um, so it's not that they are uniquely flawed in, in that capacity at all, that in fact it, it's kind of a natural part of the process, I would say, since so many of us experience the, that, that same fear, uh, those same hurdles, right, um, in Definitely. developing our own skills and sharing our own skills. Um, and then I would also ask them to take a look at some of the stories surrounding what is specifically holding them back. So like for me, in terms of money, I – consciously started to look at the stories that I was told about money throughout my entire childhood. And I find that this is a really, really helpful process. This is something that Ashley and I do. We've led a lot of um, live shadow workshops. We actually led an eight-week course on shadow integration, and uh, we're, we're pulling some of that and putting it online now. Um, and part of that process is it's kind of tracing the biography of your own belief systems uh, that got you where you are today. So like for me, I was told growing up things that many of us were told. Money doesn't grow on trees. Time is money. Money is the root of all evil. Especially that last one, like, oh boy, that's actually a very loaded sentiment. Money is the root of all evil. And by the way, Melissa, you need to uh, get good grades in school so you can get into a good college so that you can uh, get a good job so that you can make good money. That was the conflicting story that I was told, right? No wonder I rebelled and just became a poet <laughs> and a yoga teacher. <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> Money is evil, but we pursue money, right? So this is where the split usually occurs. Um, and this is where money becomes this, like, taboo subject, especially, like, in the wellness world. We're not even, quote, unquote, supposed to talk about money. We're not even supposed to want money, right? And I think that's what holds a lot of people back from putting themselves out there or launching their, their own business, especially if it is more in, on the spiritual side of things, because – Oh my gosh, you, what, you want to be a Reiki master? You're not supposed to want money for, for that. <laughs> um, and yet we do live in a capitalist economy. Um, we don't, unfortunately, live in a utopian society where we've relinquished any monetary <laughs> form. Although I, I'm not an astrologer, but um, 
I know Uranus is in Taurus for the next seven years, and uh, that should be revolutionizing a lot of things, according to the astrologers that I follow, um, that will be uh, revolutionizing a lot of our uh, paradigms of money, resources, value, worth, all that good stuff, um, which I think our culture is definitely due for. So by tracing these beliefs that we have had as children um, that we've grown up with that have just gotten naturally embedded into our systems, right? It's kind of like the software that gets installed in our brains. Um, but it's, it's, it, 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 so really, shadow work is the, the process of discerning, is this helpful? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's positive or negative, but is it helpful? And for me, those old stories that money doesn't grow on trees, time is money, money is evil, like they were deeply unhelpful. They were causing me scarcity mindset issues that uh, were preventing me from getting what I was worth. So So, you know, by trying to ignore money, it was actually ruling my life because I never seemed to have enough of it. So I was always struggling to pick up extra gigs, to drive all over town and work all these yoga gigs to make money. Um, and so that's how the shadow works. We, we want to neglect it. We don't like it. We push it aside, but it ends up running the show. And the only way to gain our power back is to shed light on it and to, to dive in. So I know it, it tends to sound like a very unpleasant process, but I find shadow work to be wildly fun and exhilarating. Maybe I'm super weird, but I have a great time doing shadow work because every time I do a little bit of shadow work, I gain so much power. I gain so much insight and I gain so much self-healing. Um, so what I've been doing is um, a, a number of different practices, journaling practices and, and specific meditation practices, some of which I will be sharing in my online course, Shadow and Light. But, um, you know, a lot of that has just been about identifying the stories and starting to dismantle them. And in that dismantling, I'm pouring love and compassion for myself. I am loving myself and not judging myself. I'm not saying, oh, Melissa, you're so stupid. How could you, you know, buy into this cultural myth? Um, why, why couldn't you just be, quote, unquote, like better with money, right? Um, because yeah. that sort of inner, inner narrative is wildly unhelpful. The inner critic can get very loud. And so it's also essential through shadow integration that we are especially kind to ourselves. In the yoga tradition, this is referred to as ahimsa. It's a Sanskrit word, which means non-harming. And in um, the Raja Ashtanga yoga tradition, which is really the tradition that is most classically adapted in in today's American yoga context, um, ahimsa is the very first step. It's the first step on the journey, Um, non-harming. Everything else you do, whether it's a, you know, wrangled up pretzel yoga pose or a meditation practice or doing breath work, pranayama, um, it all must be done with a reflection back to the first step, ahimsa, non-harming. Am I, am I being kind to myself? You know, not, not like coddling myself, not enabling my old patterns, um, but through all of this integration 
am I still being kind and compassionate? I I like the fact that what you're describing, I I tell clients on my psychic stuff when I work with them or people I just work with on a daily basis, probably you, myself, whoever else, I tell them to let go of those what if thoughts, the negative thoughts that occupy space in your mind when you're really worried about something. Like when I had my cancer diagnosis last year, I didn't, I didn't worry what was going to happen because I tried to eliminate the what if thoughts at that time. Mm. And when it comes with breath work, I'm sorry, breath work, um, with shadow work, it sounds like you're eliminating the ability of having things in your shadow emanate importance that would occupy a negative aspect of your mind. And so you're kind of finding peace with yourself so that you could be more accommodating at different situations in your life. Would that be accurate or is it a little different? Yes. No, no, that's uh, that's absolutely true. Um, then that's the thing, right? We are uh, telling ourselves stories all the time. <laughs> and a lot of those stories are <laughs> embedded by the greater society, the greater culture. We're taught things from, you know, the moment that we're born uh, and we're growing up, even, at, you know, classically in America, when a baby is born in a hospital, um, they're usually swaddled in a blanket, either pink or blue, right? And that color signifies a gender. So from the second they're born, they are labeled and identified, and a color has been engendered upon them. So now we have a belief that pink is more of a feminine color frequency, right? So um, it's something as simple as that holds a deep psychological power within us that then calcifies into uh, something we actually believe. And so those what-if thoughts create this loop, and um, every thought creates a stronger neural pathway in the brain every time you rethink it, right? Um, Those connections between the synapses get stronger and stronger. This is why um, I used to suffer from clinical depression and anxiety. So I know all too well the power of repetitive thoughts. And every time you think a thought, I am depressed, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, um, that is literally uh, creating a stronger connection in your brain to rethink that thought again and again. And the yogis, the ancient yogis, uh, discerned this as well, not from the neurological scientific standpoint that we have today, but nonetheless, to this incredible degree, they called them samskaras. And they refer to the what is often called the ruts in the road. If you think about a muddy road, um, and if you drive down a muddy road, the tires create tracks. They create these deep grooves that then the next time you drive down that road, uh, it gets a little bit easier to, to recreate those same ruts. And over time, as the mud hardens, they harden with the tracks in them. So the next time you drive down, you're, 
the car actually wants to go into the track. It's easier. It's a pattern. Neurologically, we know this to be true. Um, these samskaras perpetuate the cognitive and behavioral patterns that we exhibit in our lives. Like we were talking about, this is why we keep having the same relationships over and over again. You have a terrible work environment. You hate your boss. Nobody respects you. You're not making enough money. You leave that job. You get another job. Same situation. Same problem, different outfits, you know? Um, we, we tend to repeat these inner mantras, which then become reflected in our outer experience. And I, I love that you actually brought up, Jason, what if, because um, – I, I So part of my uh, shadow work process was to get myself out of these thought patterns. I had to start retraining my brain, and this is what uh, Ashley and I teach in our online course. Um, it, because for me, it doesn't just work to talk about theory. I can understand cognitively all day how something works, but I need practical tools to begin to embody these practices to really create concrete shifts in my life. So that's what I've been doing. And um, part of that, for example, with, we'll go back to money since that's what I've been working on. So it's fresh for me. Um, and it's been really profound. So uh, it, it, a lot of my old stories were, like I said, you know, money is bad. And if I have money, therefore I will be bad. These were the unconscious mantras that were, were constantly running in the background. They're like the, the background com, uh, computer programs that are always going. We're just not aware of them. So in order to rewrite these stories, I had to then consciously begin thinking new mantras, new scripts. So um, some of them were, what if I didn't have to work hard to earn a living? What if money flowed to me with ease? What if I could fulfill my passion and joyously receive compensation for it? What if I valued myself more? And what if money was a tool for me to create positive change in the world? So those were some of the uh, mantras that I started to ask myself throughout the day. I had to start like writing them down on little post-it notes and kind of putting them, you know, in different places in a notebook that I used all the time on my to-do list, in my car, on my dashboard, little things like that. Like what if I could get paid to just show up and be me? I asked myself that a lot. And then I had a realization recently um, that it worked, that, I, I was able to manifest that and bring that into being because it was reflected in some of my yoga students. They said, you know, man, it's so great. You just show up to the Lotus Pond and you're just, you're just fully yourself. And, and when they said that, it clicked. I was like, oh, I asked for that. Yes, I, I, I wrote that down. I put that into motion years before. Um, That's amazing that you could ask for something as a mantra or as a thought or as a manifestation with different terms but when you actually see the power of that in your own life when the universe sends it back to you it's a pretty amazing thing to witness right right and it wasn't just um me like sitting in my room and asking for it it was also accompanied with the actual work of going out into the world and putting myself out there so, um, that, but that's the first step is shifting our mindset, shifting our, the words that we use. Our words are so powerful. Our words really create our world. 
um, you know, Maya Angelou, one of the, my favorite writers, of course, beloved Maya Angelou, she always yeah. used to say that words are so powerful. Words will stick to the walls of your house. They will get onto your couch and eventually they'll get into you. And that's exactly what we're talking about. It's all these stories, you know? It's like all the things we hear all the time um, about money, about love, about how we should be in the world, about how other people should be in the world. These are the words that cultivate our own inner narrative. Every, Every thought you have is ostensibly constructed out of words. So what words you choose are going to create the life you live especially the words and the concepts that have meaning and important things that are dear to you and you hold close to your heart, those words can be very impactful. So you got to pick the right ones when you, when you describe them within yourself. Right. Right. And, and that's part of shadow. It's like, you know, you might consciously say something and, and believe something, but your unconscious has the opposite story going on. I might consciously say, oh, yeah, I uh, want to draw in a ton of abundance for my book sales. But unconsciously, if I believe that money is evil, money is bad, uh, and that if then, you know, if you take that that sentence, the logical extension is if I have money, then I'll be bad, then I'll be evil. I'm going to repel abundance from me, you know? <laughs> it's true. A wise person I worked with once said it's not the it's not money that's evil, it's the love of money. When people love money too much and they become greedy. That's the difference with uh you know, having the proper amount or respect for abundance in your life and, and being greedy so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, um, for me, because I am so immersed in the yoga subculture and I see so many other people in the spiritual communities, um, they're not greedy. They're not greedy at all. It's like to the opposite degree. They feel like they don't deserve any money. So that also sabotages (laughs) them because now they're struggling. Now they can't fulfill their dharma. They can't do the work they're supposed to do in the world because they believe they don't deserve the the compensation for it. Um, so it is about exactly. seeking that space of balance. Yeah, it's all it's all about balance. I agree. I will tell you that we're almost at an hour with each other. How fast this goes! Oh my goodness, we could just keep talking. I do. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I do want to do what you had indicated about a guided meditation. If you're comfortable with that, I'd still like to share that with our audience because I think it's a good way to. Oh to uh, close out our episode. Of course, of course. I, um, I would love to. And, um, yeah, I can do about a 10-minute guided meditation. Whatever. I'm not going to limit you because I know you're really good at this stuff, and I'd love to have that shared with our audience. So. <laughs> okay, great. And be- um, shall I just I dive say, right besides, in? <laughs> well, I was going to say, besides, when you think of something like meditation, it reminds me when, I'm a little, when you were a little kid, and you had nap time, you could relax and unwind. And I feel mm. like that's the perfect balance of our episode today is having a meditation with you. I think it'd be great. So that'd be great for sure. Wonderful. Okay, great. Well, um, we'll do a little guided meditation today um, that will help us harness our own creative energy back 
because I've seen it just so much with friends, other people in the spiritual community um, that we're we're all pretty depleted (laughs) and um, people tend to uh, fall under the trance of busyness and we are, we're, we're, we're overworked, we're scattered, um, our energy is strewn about in all different directions and so this guided meditation will help us harness our own creative force back again, our, our own prana. Um, And so I'll invite your listeners, wherever they might be, um, if they're driving, of course, keep your eyes open. (laughs) But otherwise, if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. You can let yourself be a little bit more comfortable in whatever position you're in right now. And we'll start by consciously becoming aware of the body drawing your attention to the crown of your head and allow a wave of awareness to wash over the body. Let the muscles in your face soften, in your jaw, the back of your neck, across your shoulders and down your arms, through your palms and your fingertips. Notice the waves of your breath as they rise and fall. Seeing if you can begin to slow down and smooth out the breath here. Inhaling to create space and openness. Exhaling to let go. Let your awareness drift down across the shoulder blades, mid-back, low-back, and hips, down your legs, all the way through the soles of your feet, anchored here in the present moment. And in this space, you can imagine the rays of your attention, your energy that so often get pulled in those different directions. You might imagine rays of light, dreams of water, like liquid light pouring out from your center, from your core, and they get enmeshed in all of the necessary circumstances, situations, encounters that we experience in daily life. But now we're going to start reversing that flow of energy and drawing that energy back to your core, back to your center. And so perhaps you imagine those streams of light now returning back to your center. Imagining this light within yourself, within your solar plexus, your heart, Maybe it has a particular color or texture. And with each breath, let that light glow a little brighter. With each breath, that light grows a little brighter, filling you up from your center all the way down your limbs, rays of light in the fingertips and the toes until your body is surrounded in this warm, 
nurturing cocoon of light. Your creative force, your own unique genius. We'll take a few deep breaths into this light. And in this space of awareness and compassion for yourself, perhaps here we call forth a quality that you've been hiding or neglecting from yourself. Not not your worst fear, <laughs> not something you loathe in others, but something that you haven't fully accepted and embraced within yourself. Maybe feeling like you're too nice, you're a people pleaser, maybe feeling like you're a little disorganized, you want to be more reliable in life. Whatever that quality is, you can call up that quality in your center, in your solar plexus here, as you continue to breathe deeply and fully. Wrapping that quality in loving embrace pouring gratitude for this quality within yourself. And perhaps you gain a little insight that no quality is purely positive or negative, that even a quality that doesn't seem so great holds a gift for you. It holds a treasure that you can embrace as you now shine that light of gratitude to yourself, to your own inner teacher, Thank yourself for making this time to listen to this podcast, this conversation, this meditation, taking this essential time for you. It's so essential. It's so powerful that you've made that choice for yourself. And then allow yourself to let that gratitude expand outward Noticing what else comes to mind that you can feel grateful for in this moment. Take three deep breaths now. bringing your attention back into your body. Breathe around the edges of your body. And if your eyes are closed, you may gently open them. Thank you so much.
That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> For our audience, uh, hopefully this guided meditation was a great way to close out this episode and uh, give you an opportunity to take a small exercise into mindfulness. And uh, that's why I'm excited that make that uh, Melissa agreed to be on our show today so she could share mm. what she studies day in and day out and give us an opportunity to see firsthand the power of what meditation can do and what mindfulness can do for us and working with our shadow to become the best version of ourselves and enjoy the process of living and not feel overwhelmed by life stressors when they impact us. Mm, exactly. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on this show. This was so much fun. Um, and I, I did want to mention, if anyone is interested in reading more and diving deeper into some of the practices of shadow work, I do have um, a free guide. I have, I've written a free ebook. It's pretty short, and it um, gives a really nice intro with some practical tips and practices to start exploring your own shadow stories with money, with love, and with time. And um, I think we, we can link to that in the show notes, right? Definitely, definitely. For our, for our audience, tell us your website as well. We'll have the link in the show notes. If you could tell us a little about where we can find you. I know you have your own site, and I would really recommend that our audience check out your site and look at your information. Where would they go? Yeah, yeah. Um, I am at theyogawriter.com, and you can find my blog there. I uh, will be writing a lot more about shadow work. I actually um, recently published a blog about our issues with money. So if you have issues with money, too, and you want to explore this healing process more deeply, you can go check that out at theyogawriter.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram as theyogawriter. If any of your listeners are there, we can totally follow each other. Other. Um, yeah, those are the best places to find me. You can sign up for my email list, and um, I share a lot of great content and give a lot of great tools for shadow integration. Excellent. And if I was to ask you, what is your favorite crystal and why? What would be your answer? To Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, this is a good question. Jason, I have so many crystals that I love. I it's <laughs> going to be very, very difficult to to just pick one. Um, it's kind they're like children. How could you just pick one kid? <laughs> but I will say that um, one of the stones that I have had for a very, very long time um, that I got maybe 10 years ago when I was just getting into crystals. Um, it actually is a snowflake obsidian. And um, I, I love that stone so much um, because it does represent grounding, protection, and, and, and healing and coming back down to earth. And I know in my own healing journey, um, being more grounded and more rooted 
is definitely something that I like to work on because I need to work on that. So the Snowflake Obsidian exemplifies that energy for me, and I really, really enjoy that. But, you know, I love me some amethyst and some angel light and some citrine, too. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're nerding out on the air right now about crystals, but that's all right. Oh, my gosh. You need to have a podcast episode called Nerding Out on Crystals. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to mark that one down. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I deeply appreciate you having you on as a return guest. I look forward to having you on again in the future. I know that there's so much in terms of the topics that we can cover for episodes that it's nice to have one that talks about shadow work and your recent book, Body of Starlight, and uh, your guided meditation. I I think it's it's just such a a great treat having you share your expertise and your background and your knowledge with us and Thank you for, for, you know, making this your life path and for being on our show. I, I know that's definitely something we deeply appreciate having you. It's always a, a pleasure when you're around. So. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. It's my pleasure, too. I love and appreciate you, my friend. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your inner king or queen. Each piece is handcrafted with love and is sure to inspire and captivate all. Indulge yourself by visiting Royal Susie's website at www.royalsusie.com for splendid items like agate bookends, impressively crystal-studded bottle stoppers, and beautifully handcrafted nightlights that will charm every room in your home. Royal Susie's featured collections will truly delight your guests and always make them feel welcome. Any questions? Contact Royal Susie directly by email at royalsusiedesigns at yahoo.com. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park, or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply, subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Electricast.